The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Merry Christmas, everyone. So, uh, it would have been awesome if they had texting back then, right? Then we would have had an electronic record of the kind of conversations that Mary may have had with her mother. Um, and I think it, that video just captured really well the craziness of that night and what it must have been like for this young teenage girl to be away from home and suddenly going into labor and uh, giving birth in a manger uh, in, a, in a stable of animals like that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was putting together a Christmas list, uh, a Christmas playlist of songs that I wanted to listen to during this whole Advent season. And so I was on Spotify, and as I was putting together my playlist and just pulling all these Christmas albums, um, I was struck by the kind of songs that were representative on these Christmas albums. And you uh, find songs like O Holy Night and Hark the Herald Angels Sing, And they have lyrics like, long lay the world in sin and error pining, or peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And then on those very same albums by the same artists, uh, you find songs like the Christmas song, and even songs like Santa Baby, you know, with lyrics like chestnuts roasting on an open fire, uh, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, or... Santa, honey, I want a yacht, and really, that's not a lot. (laughs) Been an angel all year, Santa baby, and hurried down the chimney tonight, right? Um, And what struck me was that the celebration of Christmas in America today really is the celebration of two holidays that happen to fall on the same day, and they have very little to do with each other. And I think the cultural Christmas that we celebrate is a festival of lights, It's decorated trees with presents underneath, of stockings hanging on the mantle of fireplaces and family gatherings. It's a holiday of elves making toys and Santa Claus giving gifts to children who are good and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, Frosty the Snowman. And in truth, uh, I fell in love with that Christmas as a child. I don't know if you can figure out which one is me in that picture, but uh, some of my most cherished memories from childhood are around Christmas time, shopping in the malls for presents uh, for my family members, uh, playing those old vinyl record albums of Christmas songs over and over again on this little record player that our parents had bought us. Uh, I remember many Christmases shaking and weighing and examining the wrapped gifts under the tree, and it would kill me to try to know what was inside before Christmas Day. If I got desperate enough, a couple of years, my brother and I would actually peel back the tape, you know, so that you could look underneath and see what you got and then carefully replace the tape so that my parents could never figure out that we knew what we were getting. That's what Christmas represented for me growing up. I'm sure many of you have these kind of warm memories of Christmas as well. In essence, The cultural Christmas that I'm describing is really, in essence, the celebration of a mood. 
It's a mood of warm fireplaces and hot chocolate on chilly winter days. It's about being cheerful and having goodwill toward others, about putting your coins in those Salvation Army buckets that you see in the stores everywhere. In the, uh, it's about the belief that life is good and that everything is going to be okay. And I think there are aspects of that biblical Christmas story that get adapted to fit this mood. Echoed in all of our minds is this hallmark manger scene that I've talked about in Christmas's past, with baby Jesus having this heavenly glow around him. I have no idea where the light is coming from, but he's always glowing. And all the animals look like they've just been scrubbed down, and they're surrounding this crib obediently. Uh, that looks like Mary and Joseph just bought a pottery barn, right? I mean, it's, everything is just immaculate. Um, I'm pretty sure that all of these paintings are done by men because Mary never looks like she just gave birth, does she, right? Uh, she's never portrayed as a, a terrified teenager who just had her first baby away from home in a dirty stable with no one to help her but her equally terrified and clueless husband, right? Um, Let me say this. I do think that Christmas ought to be a joyful holiday that ought to give us warm feelings of comfort and security. It ought to be a celebration of joy. But I'm going to argue in what I want to share today that it's not because of chestnuts roasting on an open fire or about opening gifts under a Christmas tree. I think to understand the story of Christmas, we have to first understand why it was even necessary. As the prophet Isaiah explained, and in the reading that we heard earlier in the service today in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The condition of humanity without God is described in the Bible as people walking in darkness. The picture is of us all groping in the dark, trying to make sense of life looking for happiness, trying to grasp life's purpose. And we all long for joy and for connection with others. We all want the good life. But often all we're left with is loneliness and pain and suffering. Henry David Thoreau said the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. As you drive through the suburbs of Chicagoland and see all the Christmas lights and what outwardly appears to be such happy families and happy lives, who knows the untold drama that is happening behind those lights of the kind of things that are going on in every family, in every life. And so not surprisingly, uh, we do know that depression rates go up around the holidays. Christmas, it's, I, I, and it doesn't take much detective work to understand that data, does it? It's, it's the fact that Christmas is supposed to be a happy time, but the truth is many people struggle to find something to celebrate. And so Christmas, if anything, seems to be just a heavier load placed on people who are already in pain. And it's almost like the pressure to be happy And the pressure to say that my life is going so well almost adds to the burden of that pain and can add to that suffering. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus describes the human condition as sheep without a shepherd. All of us wandering and lost and no one to show us the way. 
This is where the Christmas story, according to the Bible, begins. It's of a lost humanity in search for hope, in search for happiness, in search for meaning, and yet struggling on our own to find that hope. But as we've seen throughout this Advent series, from the moment that sin entered our world, God promised that he would provide a solution. After Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and ate the forbidden fruit and brought sin into our world, God killed an animal and made skins for them, covering their nakedness and their shame. And he promised to them that one day from the descendant of Eve herself would come one who would find the hope that we're all looking for. He would one day crush the head of the serpent. We saw another picture of God's promised solution last week when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. And before Abraham could commit that horrific act of killing his own son, God stopped him and instead provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. And so through stories like Abraham and Isaac and Adam and Eve, the, sto- the message is repeated over and over again that God would provide a way for his people. Moses spoke of a prophet who would come after him. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And so we're told that this person that is to come would be a prophet. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says, A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And as history keeps moving forward, the Israelites were given more and more details about who this Messiah, the Deliverer, was going to be, who would save God's people one day. In 2 Samuel, we learn that he is going to be a descendant of King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 13, it says, When your days are over and, your rest with, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offering to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the promise God gives to King David is that after me will come one of your descendants, and on his throne I will establish my eternal kingdom. The prophet Micah tells us that he will come from the town of Bethlehem, where David also came. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. (laughs) Interesting words, isn't it? Someone who's going to come who actually originates from this age that's long, long ago that you don't even understand. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the way that this great light would cut into the darkness would be through the form of a child. In verses 6 to 7 of Isaiah 9, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
And then Isaiah gives us one more intriguing detail about this Messiah that is going to come. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now, when you look at these verses that I just read for you today and many others that we don't have time to look at, what, what is clear is that through all of this unfolding of history, God reveals more and more about the Messiah that is to come into this world, this deliverer. But even as much as we're given more and more information, it actually raises just as many questions as it answers. And it leaves us with this great mystery of who this person is that is going to come and save the world. For example, this Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 passage. How can a virgin become pregnant and bear a child? Is Isaiah speaking metaphorically or is this literal? It's amazing to think that after thousands of years of anticipation, the answers to these mysteries and the ultimate revelation about the Messiah would be given to a poor carpenter named Joseph coming from this obscure town of Nazareth and his soon-to-be wife, Mary. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, it says this, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As the angel reveals to Joseph, this carpenter, he was basically saying Isaiah was not speaking figuratively, but literally. The Savior of the world will literally be born of a virgin, Joseph. And that virgin is Mary, the girl that you're engaged to right now. In fact, she's pregnant already and carrying this child. The prophecies of old told us that the one who would come would be a messenger, a prophet, a deliverer. But on this first Christmas, the full meaning of this name, Emmanuel, God with us, was revealed to Joseph. Literally, God with you. God had become a baby. Max Lucado writes of this amazing truth of Christmas. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event puzzles him, but he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. 
As sleep comes, he remembers the name of the angel told him to use, Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. She touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. That's the wonder of Christmas, isn't it? The wonder of that first Christmas is that the depths to which God would go to show his love for us. He didn't just send a human messenger to deliver his message of love, but he conveyed that message by sending his own son as an offering of peace to lost humanity. By becoming one of us, God identified with our struggles by experiencing them himself. You know, for years, uh, I had worked in the hospital as a doctor. And working in the hospital in that way, I had naively thought that I understood what a patient goes through when they're admitted to the hospital. But it took going through my own surgery when I tore my ACL in my left knee to truly understand what a patient goes through that I never realized as a doctor. I experienced the hospital experience with an entirely new set of eyes that day as I was prepped to go into surgery that morning. One of the things I realized was how darn cold the pre-op prep area was when all they give you to wear is that thin hospital gown, you know? I was shivering, and I was so thankful for the thoughtful nurse that saw me shivering and brought me this warm blanket to cover myself with, you know? Um... When they started an IV in my arm, that IV fluid going into my arm felt like ice water (laughs) being poured into my body. I didn't realize how cold it was for that IV fluid to enter you because no one in medical school ever mentioned that, you know? You don't learn that as a doctor. Um, I realized how helpless and intimidating it felt to lie there in that hospital bed, as all these noises are buzzing around you, and all these people are busy running around you, and you're waiting for the OR to call your case to head over there. You know, what I realized that day is nothing can replace the knowledge of experience. And this is what Jesus endured in order to identify with us. Jesus knew what it was to be tired to get sick, to be tempted, to be afraid of failure, to be rejected by family, to be abandoned and betrayed by his closest friends. His feet hurt after a long journey. Jesus had body odor 
Jesus got gas. Maybe he was lactose intolerant. I don't know. But for 33 years, Jesus would experience everything that you and I go through in this life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. One of the most remarkable aspects of this identification that I find that Christ endured was the stigma of being considered an illegitimate child, which is the whole focus of that Matthew 1 passage that we looked at. Let me be honest here, frank here. There was not a single family in Nazareth that believed the virgin birth story, okay? I don't think anyone believed that. And they saw Mary walking down that aisle to be married to Joseph with a full stomach, you know, with her belly probably already showing. And what a scandal that was, that Jesus would go pretty much his entire childhood with that stigma of being considered an illegitimate child. And it just baffles my mind that this is what God would allow to happen to his own son. It's to let people think the worst of his child. This is why Joseph initially wanted to quietly divorce Mary, was so that they could avoid the whole public disgrace, let her go to another town in another place where nobody else knows her and quietly have that baby. And then maybe when the fog of time has passed, she could slowly find her way back home and no one would know the difference. But God didn't allow that. He said to Joseph, go ahead with your plans and marry her because the child in her womb has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. You can run the entire gamut of everything that Jesus suffered as a child. And it's as if God says, I will spare my own son Nothing in order to let him experience the fullness of human suffering and what people must go through in this life. But even more than experiencing our suffering so that we could identify, so that God could identify with us, God became flesh so that that flesh could be nailed to a cross for our sins. That's the disturbing part of the Christmas story is that God became flesh so that that flesh could be ripped apart because of the punishment that you and I deserve. That's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 14 to 18 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. 
and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. That is the ultimate hope, the ultimate joy that we find in the Christmas message. Whatever brokenness that you're experiencing in life, whatever pain, whatever suffering, what the Christmas story tells us is this, that God sent his only son to become one of us and suffer like we suffer and ultimately to lay down his life for us so that we might have peace with God. And in that peace that he won on that cross with the Heavenly Father becomes the beginning of every answer to every hope and every dream and every desperate desire that we have in our heart. That is the Christmas story. That is the hope of the Christmas message, is that because Jesus bought for us peace with God, we can know peace in every other sphere of our life. Let's pray.